Anger is a fabrication. Emotions and the way we interact with people are often means to an end. If anger is a means of achieving an objective that you want to reach, then you will experience that anger in order to achieve that objective. As an example, if someone's angry at you and they start shouting, the reason that they're shouting and angry is because they know if they do those things, they'll get a re- what they want from you. They'll get a reaction. Um, the same thing goes for, let's say, a waiter spills some food in your lap um, and you start shouting. You got angry so you could shout. In other words, in order to fulfill the goal of shouting, you created the emotion of anger within you. Anger is a fabrication. It's a means of satisfying an objective or, or determined end. And it is a means of getting what an individual wants. Now, if someone's angry at you and you don't give them the response that their anger merits, if their anger really has no response at all, they are denuded and depowered and their anger can do nothing. Anger is a fabrication. You are not your emotions. If you experience a temporary feeling within yourself, you could identify that feeling as sadness or happiness or anxiety. That is not an emotion. That is a body sensation that you have interpreted in such. And the negativity or positivity you attribute to that emotion has been conditioned by you. We attribute negativity to sadness and we create positivity to happiness. We seek to run from sadness and we seek to run towards happiness. In fact, so much to the point that we will take medications um, to stop one and we'll take medications to start the other. But all that is is a sensation. It's a communication from you to you. And it's something that can be enjoyed. All emotions can be enjoyed as ephemeral things that float through you um, like a wisp. Um, And they can be taken from you. Um, They can move through you quickly. Don't grasp onto them. And also don't identify with them because they're transitory things passing through you. Um, The great state to be is a state of peace. A peace is not no emotions, it's simply peace. Emotions highlight something within us, but it's up to us to act upon them or not. When we experience one, we can say, I act upon this, or I, refu- I decline. That's our choice. But we feel it go through us. You are not your sadness, you are not your happiness. These are things that occur to you, but they do not belong to you. Stop trying to be someone else. You can't be someone else. What you see when you see someone else and you think, oh, I wish I could be like them, is not them. It is a depiction of them that you see. It is something identified in maybe the way they smile, the way they carry themselves. It could be their affluence. It could be their popular, quote unquote, popularity. But you don't want to be that person. You only see what you see. The most important thing is not what you're born with, but what you make use of that equipment with. There is actually no difference between being a particular look or having a particular body or height or uh, zveltness. 
It's what you do with your equipment and what you're born with, not who you are in that sense. So make the most of your equipment, um, not what you're born with. You choose to be unhappy and you choose your lifestyle. It's true, you choose to be unhappy, everyone does. You choose to be happy or you're sad, but it's your choice. It's a choice of lifestyle too that, you know, in some ways is predetermined by where you grew up and what your attitudes were towards things and what you were taught. Um, in popular psychology, that's believed to be determined about the age of 10 years old when you determine your lifestyle. But you yourself are responsible for your happiness. Happiness is a choice. And some people choose to be unhappy. It may suit um, a pervasive myth they have about their life that they deserve something, or it may discourage them from taking agency and action over their life. Nonetheless, they choose their unhappiness and they choose their lifestyle too. And now that you have the knowledge that your lifestyle can be changed, what are you going to do with that information? Are you going to continue to live the way you do, or are you going to live in a different way? No one really likes to change. Although there are some small inconveniences and limitations, you may think the lifestyle you have now is the most practical one. It's easy to leave things as they are. And if you stay like this, experience enables you to respond properly to events as they occur, more guessing the results of your actions. You could say it's like driving your old familiar car or being in your old home or being with family. Um, but being in your car, you know, it might rattle a little bit, but you can take into that account and maneuver easily. On the other hand, if you choose a new lifestyle or a new car, no one can predict what might happen um, to the new self or any idea about how it might deal with events that arise. Be hard to see into the future and life will be filled with anxiety. A more painful and unhappy life may lie ahead. Simply put, people have various complaints about things, but it's easier and more secure to be just the way like one is. People find change difficult, but those perceptions of whether life itself will be different with change are imaginary in the imagination. Life can indeed be much, much better. Don't feel discouraged to change. Change is positive, but nevertheless realize that it is difficult for all people to change in some way. The courage to be happy. Your life is decided here and now. What we need in life is courage. Courage is bravery. The bravery just to be happy and make a decision that's positive for ourselves. You could be feeling lonely and isolated and want a partner. Take courage. You are worth, you're an interesting individual and you're worth getting to know. We must take the courage to be happy. So often we don't change because we keep making the decision not to change. We don't have the courage to choose a new lifestyle. We don't have the courage to be happy, and that's why we're unhappy. The measures we should take to stop this. Well, let's say if you want to say, if only I could be like person Y, I'd be happy. As long as you live that way in the realm of possibility of if only such and such were the case, you'll never be able to change. Because saying, if only I could be like Mr. Y, is an excuse to yourself for not changing. Um, a person who desires of being a novelist but never um, submits their work for critique, 
um, may be able to tell themselves in the future and give lies about why they never made it as a novelist. They could say, well, I don't have the time to write, which is false, because they could find the time to watch TV. And then when 10 or 20 years pass, oh, I have a family now, or that time in my life has passed. And that person's dream of becoming a novelist could have been easily satisfied. And if they had risked themselves and risked change and risked critique, in order to put their work out there, maybe for a competition or to be evaluated and to risk that um, sometimes difficult time of having your work judged, a person could have indeed made it as a novelist, but they made excuses why they shouldn't. And those excuses go in the way of their happiness. Stop making excuses and start living your happiness. Why you dislike yourself. If you keep focusing on the things you don't like about yourself, of course you're not going to like yourself. What we focus on with ourselves is ends up becoming a reality. If you're constantly putting yourself down and saying the things you don't like, how can you focus on the things you do like? The reality is that we share all the same joys and all the same interests and all the same enthusiasms as ourselves. We are our own best friends. We have the same interests. We like the same books, the same movies, the same TV shows. It is a joy to spend time in reality with ourselves. So be your own best friend. Enjoy spending time with yourself. Don't put yourself down. The world does that often, sometimes more than enough. Don't be the one who does that. Um, sometimes when we tell ourselves things that are wrong with ourselves, they become self-fulfilling prophecies. Like if you are embarrassed or if you don't think you're worthwhile, you may come up with an excuse about why you're not worth being with. You could have a few extra pounds on you and say, no one loves me because I'm fat. You could have crooked teeth. It's not true. Crooked teeth are actually quite cute. But you tell yourself, oh, I, I, people won't like me or like my smile if I, um, if I have crooked teeth. Or you could have a blush. The blush said, oh, if I talk to people, I'll start blushing. It'll be embarrassing. The root cause is embarrassment. And you will come up with any number of excuses why you shouldn't be involved with other people and have relations with them. Don't worry about those things. Human beings have the attention of a goldfish. Once seen, once forgotten. Um, people don't remember as often as you think. You don't remember others as often as you think. And even if you did, you're not likely to see them ever again. So don't worry. Relax. Get to know people. People pass by and people appreciate genuine time speaking with you and getting to know you. And you might think you have a unique set of interests and a unique person when people get to know you, they don't know you. They don't know anything about you. That's a chance to get to know someone afresh, every person you meet. The next person doesn't know you. You make a mistake, you make an embarrassment, and guarantee they've forgotten a few moments later. They don't even remember you anymore. So relax. Spend time with yourself. Spend time enjoying your own company. Enjoy your own interests. And when you get to meet other people, take that same interest that you take in yourself and them. What do they like? What do they like to do? Take an active interest like you may feel that you don't are not given an interest in you and your life will change. This is a big one. All problems are interpersonal relationship problems. I'll say that again. Every problem in life is an interpersonal relationship problem. Every joy in life is a person. Every problem in life is a person. The problems in life that we have are not world-related. Those things are things like the weather, or it being cold, or it being hot, 
or the farm not producing or things like that. Those things really give us problems and animals really give us problems too. Our problems are interpersonal relationship ones, always between people. Never forget that. Never forget that every problem you have is an interpersonal relationship problem. That's a good way of defining it. That's a good way of understanding it. It's a person-to-person problem. It's not you, it's not an event, but it's person-to-person. The most common reason why you dislike yourself is because you want to avoid interpersonal relationships. This is a big one, I'll say that again. You're so afraid of interpersonal relationships that you may have come to dislike yourself. You've avoided those relationships by disliking yourself. This is most people. Most people will make an excuse about why they don't like themselves in order to avoid the potential difficulty in getting to know someone. Because, you know, it can be difficult getting to know someone. It can. There's always the risk that it will backfire, that things will go wrong that you'll fall in love or you'll fall out of love. There'll be an argument, there'll be a fight. There's an unknowingness with getting to know another another human being. And we can um, hide away from that unknowingness by telling ourselves myths and lies that we are disliked. It stops us having personal contact. But also remember that every single great joy you will ever have in life is from another human being. So there's always that potentiality. It's either things will go wrong or things will go right. And once we get to a point where we no longer care when things will go right or go wrong and we simply are and we simply can be and we have being with another person or we experience the joy of getting to to be in life, never stray from that intimacy with someone and don't be embarrassed or ashamed if a relationship doesn't work out the way you want. Most don't, but within there, there is a nugget that they will go well. In fact, the odds are one in 10. That is an official odd. One in 10 encounters you will have with people, that one in those 10 will be positive and wonderful. Nine out of the 10, eight out of the 10 will be indifferent. One may be negative, one will be positive. They're the official odds. So remember that when you get to know people, one in every 10 people you're gonna meet, you may make a great friend, a great connection, and you might find great joy. Remember, all problems are interpersonal relationships, but on the flip side, All joys are also interpersonal relationships. Your feelings of inferiority are subjective, not objective. If you compare an attribute of yourself to another person, like for example, if you're shorter than another person, you may think, oh, I'm inferior because I'm shorter. But if you change that angle to something else, for example, maybe the size of your nose, you can say, oh, my nose is smaller and therefore perhaps more desirable, or my nose is bigger and therefore perhaps more desirable than someone else. The angle in which we take when we compare ourselves to others and the means in which we compare inferiority, superiority, are subjective measures based on an angle. For example, if we see a diamond, a diamond could be seen as something very valuable. But if we change our angle, that diamond is just a stone. The same goes for a dollar bill. If a dollar bill is taken out of its um, economic context, it's just a valueless piece of paper. It doesn't mean anything. Um, We could blow our nose on it and it wouldn't do anything. 
the actual paper value is nothing. But in the right context, when we give that piece of paper to someone at a store, we can exchange for something that we want. So again, feelings of inferiority are subjective. An inferiority complex is an excuse. Best way to understand this is to understand it from being a baby. First of all, people enter this world as helpless beings, and people have the universal desire to escape from that helpless state. This we could call the pursuit of superiority. This is something you can think of as simply hoping to improve or pursuing an ideal state. For example, a toddler learns to steady himself on both legs, he has the universal desire to learn language and to improve, and all the advancements of science throughout human history are the pursuit of superiority. The counterpart of this is feeling inferior. Everyone is in a condition of wanting to improve. That's the pursuit of superiority. One holds up various ideals or goals and heads towards them. However, on not being able to reach one's ideals, one harbors a sense of being lesser. For example, there are chefs who feel um, the more inspired and accomplished they become, are beset with feelings of inferiority that make them say to themselves, I'm still not good enough, or I've got to bring my cooking to the next level, and that sort of thing. The pursuit of superiority and feelings of inferiority are not diseases, but stimulants to normal, healthy striving and growth. If it is not used in the wrong way, the feeling of inferiority too can promote striving and growth. So in a sense, a feeling of inferiority is kind of a launch pad. You try and get rid of your feeling of inferiority and you keep moving forward. You're never satisfied with your present situation, even just a single step. You just want to make progress. You just want to be happier. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this state of kind of feeling of inferiority. There are, however, people who lose the courage to take that single step forward. who can't accept the fact the situation can be changed by making realistic efforts. People who, before even doing anything, simply give up and say things, I'm not good enough anyway, or even if I tried, I wouldn't stand a chance. Um, that's an inferiority complex. And at base, what complex refers to is a normal mental state um, made up of a complicated group of emotions and ideas. Um, these nuances are strong. Now, now, there's nothing wrong particularly with the feeling of inferiority itself. It can be a trigger for striving and growth. If you've had a feeling of inferiority in regards to your education and resolved, okay, I'm not well educated, I'm just going to have to try harder than someone else, that would be a desirable direction. The inferiority complex, on the other hand, it refers to a condition of having begun to use one's feelings of inferiority as a kind of excuse. So you think to yourself, I'm not well educated, so I can't succeed or I'm not good looking, so I can't get married. When you're insisting on the logic of, if A is a situation so B cannot be done in such a way in everyday life, that's not something that fits into the inferiority category, but into an inferiority complex. Um, this is an apparent cause and effect. So that's to say, if you convince yourself that there's some serious casual relationship where there's none whatsoever, for example, I can't get married because my parents got divorced when I was a child. Um, now, if you're a Freudian, you would think the parents divorced a great trauma, which connects in a great casual relationship with one's view of marriage. 
but um, really that's an apparent cause and effect. The real issue is how you confront reality. If what you're thinking is, I'm not well-educated, so I can't succeed, then instead of, I can't succeed, you should think, I don't want to succeed. And I don't want to succeed. What kind of reasoning is that? Well, it's simply that it's scary to take even one step forward. Also, you don't want to make realistic efforts. You don't want to change so much you're willing to sacrifice the pleasure you enjoy now. For instance, the time you spend playing and engaging in hobbies. In other words, you're not equipped with the courage to change your lifestyle. It's easier with things just they are, even if you have some feelings of inferiority. Superiority complexes are actually inferiority complexes. So no one's really capable of putting up with having feelings of inferiority for a long period of time. Feelings of inferiority are something that everyone has, but staying in that condition, condition is heavy to endure for a long time. Um, the feeling of inferiority is a condition of feeling some sort of lack in yourself about the present situation. So then the question is, how do you fill in the part that's missing? So to compensate for that part that's lacking, the healthiest way is to compensate through striving and growth. For instance, it could be applying yourself to your studies, engaging in constant training, being diligent to your work. However, people who aren't equipped with that courage end up stepping into an inferiority complex. Again, it's thinking, I'm not well-educated, so I can't succeed. And it's implying your capability by saying, if only I were well-educated, I could be really successful. That's the real me, which just so happens to be obscured by the matter of education. is superior. So the inferiority complex can also develop into another special mental state called the superiority complex. And what that is, is one is suffering from such strong feelings of inferiority. On top of that, one doesn't have the courage to compensate through healthy modes of striving and growth and can't tolerate the inferiority complex of thinking A is a situation so B cannot be done. One can't accept one's incapable self. At that point, the person thinks of trying to compensate in some other fashion and looks for an easier way out. And it's to act as if one is indeed superior and indulge in a fabricated feeling of superiority. An example of that would be giving authority. So what does that mean? It means a show of being on good terms with a powerful person. And broadly speaking, it could be on anyone from the leader of your school class to a famous celebrity. And by doing that, one lets it be known that one is special. Behaviors like misrepresenting one's work experience or excessive allegiance to particular brands of clothing are forms of giving authority and probably also have aspects of that superiority complex. Again, a complex is a, is a arrangement of thoughts, emotions, and um, things that have happened that form a complexity about you. Um, in each case, it isn't the that the I, yourself, is actually superior or special. It's only that one is making that I look superior by linking it to authority. In short, it's a fabricated feeling of superiority. And at the base of that, of course, there is an intense feeling of inferiority. And um, often people who wear rings with rubies and emeralds on all their fingers or fancy jewelry or fancy clothing have deep feelings of inferiority rather than issues of aesthetic sensibility. In other words, they have the signs of a superiority complex. But those who make themselves look bigger and borrow power are essentially living according to other people's value systems. They're living other people's lives. 
And that's a point that must be emphasized. Um, another example of a superiority complex is the kind of person who likes to boast about their achievements, someone who clings to the past glory and is always recounting memory of a time when their light shone brightest. Maybe you know a few people like that. All such people can be said to have superiority complexes. And those who go so far as to boast about things out loud actually have no confidence in themselves. Um, the one that boasts does so only out of a feeling of inferiority. If you really have a feeling of confidence, you don't feel the need to boast. It's because your feeling of inferiority is strong that you boast. One feels the need to flaunt one's superiority all the more. And there's the fear if that one doesn't do that, not a single person will accept the way that you are. And that's a full-blown superiority complex. In other words, you're no longer who you are. You're someone that you're not in order to um, be liked. And although it sounds like from the sound of it that an inferiority complex and superiority complex are polar opposites, in actuality, they're clearly connected. Now, there's one last example. Um, there's a complex example that deals with boasting, and that's a pattern leading to a particular feeling of superiority that manifests due to the feeling of inferiority itself becoming intensified. Concretely speaking, it's bragging about one's own misfortune. So the person who assumes a boasting manner when talking about their upbringing and the like, the various misfortunes that are rained upon them, if someone you know, tries to comfort them, they say, you don't know how I feel. Some people try to make themselves special by way of their experience of misfortune, and with the single fact of their misfortune, try and place themselves above others. So if someone's short, for example, um, someone kind-hearted come up to say and say, it's nothing to worry about, or such things have nothing to do with human values. But if you reject them and say, you think you know what short people go through, huh? No one would say a thing to me anymore. I'm sure that everyone around would start treating you know, that person if they were a boil about to burst and treat them very carefully or circumspectly. And by doing that, my position becomes superior to other people and you can become special. Quite a few people try to be special by adopting this kind of attitude when they're sick or injured or suffering mental anguish or heartbreak. Um, they reveal their feeling of inferiority and use it to their advantage. And they try and control the other party with it. By declaring how unfortunate they are and how much they have suffered, they're trying to worry the people around them, family and friends, for example, and restrict their speech and behavior and control them. So um, people who, for example, shut themselves up in their room or indulge in feelings of superiority and use misfortune and advantage, so much so that in our culture, weakness can be quite strong and powerful. Um, in fact, if we were to ask ourselves who is the strongest person in our culture, the logical answer would be actually to say a baby. The baby rules and cannot be dominated. The baby rules over adults with his weakness, and it's because of his weakness that no one can control him. Um, and that's a good tangent about who Christ is. Christ in his weakness becomes strong. No one can dominate Christ because he is already weak, yet he is strong at the same time in his weakness. That's what that phrase means.
Life is not a competition. Sometimes we think of life, particularly in the capitalist model, of being a ladder that we're trying to climb and we're trying to kick people down below us in order to compete. This isn't the model that we are striving for and this isn't the Christ-like model. Instead, we should think of ourselves as walking along a flat plain of grass. And there are other people who are also walking on that flat plain of grass with us. No one's running. No one's trying to push each other over. We're just all walking forward. The competition in life does not have to do with other people. The competition in life is the ideal, with the ideal form of who we are, of moving towards that ideal form and striving for it always. That is our competition, but it's never with each other. When we feel positions of inferiority, a healthy feeling of inferiority is when we compare ourselves to who we want to be. An inferiority complex is when we compare ourselves to others. And a superiority complex has no place there. We can feel proud in who we are, but not overly proud. We can feel confident in who we are, but not prideful. The, the wise man no longer competes and removes themselves from places of competition because you're no longer striving to be someone you're not. You're simply striving to be the best that you can be. You're the only person worrying about how you look like. First of all, no one cares. Second of all, we're not in a competition. When we look at the world as a competition, which is often how the capitalist system wants us to look at the world, we stop finding joy. We start competing with other people on subjective lenses of inferiority that have no basis in reality. There's always someone subjectively prettier. There's always someone subjectively less pretty. But in the eyes of someone else, that prettiness and that ugliness may be reversed. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Spending hours in front of the mirror does no good for anybody. It's not a competition. Simply find joy in who you are. Find joy in other people's successes and happinesses too. Sometimes if you are envying someone else's successes, question to yourself, would I actually like their entire life? Would I like to be in that person's shoes for that time? That means saying goodbye to your family. That means saying goodbye to your friends. It means stepping into someone else's skin, someone else's chosen occupation, which you may not enjoy. So what if some manager, friend of yours has earned a promotion and is making six figures and you're still earning 20,000 a year? Do you really want their job? Is that the job that you see yourself being happy in for the next 20 years? Do you really want those three kids? Do you really wanna be married to that person's wife? Stop comparing yourself to others. Don't compare yourself on subjective lenses especially, but stop competing. Take joy in what other people have accomplished and make comrades in life. When we become like a sunflower that enjoys the sunshine all around us, rather than a gourd that sees no sunshine, we blossom and we share that love of life with others too. Be the person who's not competing. There's nothing to compete with. Be content in yourself and only, and only feel that lens of inferiority against the person you want to become and strive towards becoming better. Don't stop growing.